I'm Marty Dodson. And I'm Clay Mills. Welcome to Songtown on Songwriting. All right, everybody, we got a dear friend, longtime collaborator. Dean Sams is with us. He's with the band Lone Star. And this man has been touring forever, pretty much. I mean, forever. Yeah. How many years has it been? Well, I put Lone Star together 30 and a half years ago now. So, yeah. Oh, wow. wow. We're on the backside of we're on the backside of 31 here. So, wow. so I want to just get, pick your brain on some things, um, business, kind of the business of touring and some, you know, mistakes you can make or ways to get things right from the start, because we have a lot of people that are kind of in the beginning stages of that, that want to eventually get to where you guys are, where you've got a bus to travel in and, and that kind of thing. So mm-hmm. talk to us. I mean, tell me a little bit about what what was it like in the beginning with Lone Star and, you know, what are some things you learned? Well, in the very beginning days, um, I think the toughest part was uh, really finding finding gigs, you know, and, uh, well, actually found a few gigs in the very beginning, but the toughest part was getting the band to, all right, we got, I remember we were rehearsing at the uh, musicians hall of fame because they would, they had a room there you could rehearse in for free. And of course, none of us had a a penny to our name. And, (laughs) um, so we were there rehearsing, but we had a very limited time. I I booked us this, uh, gig in St. Charles, Missouri, and um we uh we had to do five sets and so um we had we had over 50 songs to learn and a very limited amount of time and i just remember everybody goofing off and joking and noodling and playing different songs and stuff and i remember at one point i yelled i said everybody stop we have 50 songs to learn let's get serious about this or let's just call it right now. And everybody looked at me like, what's this dude's problem? <laughs> you know? And uh, so I've always been the pain in the neck. So I think uh, lesson number one, always have that person in the, in the act, uh, whether it's a band or a soul, have somebody that's going to be the pain in the neck and make sure business gets done. Um, that's always important. You got to have, you got to have, uh, like I always say in our band, um, like Michael Britt, he's an amazing musician. I mean, he's, He's 10 times the musician I'll ever be. Um, and, uh, you know, Keach is an amazing drummer. And, uh, you know, and just everybody in the band is really good at what they do. I think what I'm best at is facilitating people and the business side of things. I remember when I was first putting the band together, you know, there are a couple folks that didn't want to do it. And I had to kind of talk them into it. And I go, oh, bands are difficult, this, that, and the other. And I go, yeah, but all you got to do is show up and sing and play and I'm going to, I'm going to book the shows. I'm going to take care of hotels in every city we play in. I'll, I'll do your taxes at the end of the year. I'll send you a 1099 and literally all you got to do is show up and sing. And so having, having somebody in the band that, you know, can be that person and sometimes they're a pain in the neck and probably more times than not, but I think it's important to have somebody like that. Yeah. So that's handling the financial aspects. That's making sure people get where they need to be and, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, you kind of forget about it. You know, it's um, that's before you can, you know, everybody always thinks about that time on stage, which is really what we all love to do. It's probably why we got in it to begin with. But there's so much before you get to that part that is really as important as the show, because if you don't have all these other things, you don't have a show. In the beginning, what was tell me, like, who? how many people were in the band? How many people traveled with you? And 
kind of how you you got there and accomplished everything? Well, um, in the very beginning, um, we had five of us. Um, so uh, a lot of people don't know that Keach, our drummer, he was our fourth drummer that we had in the band. Oh, wow. um, yeah, he, he, he actually came on board right before six months before we got a record deal. Um, but, uh, so when I first put the band together, it was, it was myself. Um, it was Richie, uh, Michael Britt. Um, and then we had a, a drummer who was in a band with me back in Texas before I moved to Nashville, a guy named Mike Tucker. Um, he was our drummer. And then, um, I worked in Opryland right before I put the band together. And, um, I was in what is called the red cast of Opryland, but there was a blue cast and I'd seen this young kid. Uh, he had a really high voice and, you know, he was singing like Vince Gill in the show and, and all this stuff. And then I saw him play bass in a talent contest and he was awful on bass, awful. <laughs> but, but, uh, my focus was, I wanted a, an Alabama type band. So, uh, Richie was going to be the lead singer. John Rich is the bass player I'm talking about sing high harmony and I would sing low and we would kind of have that Alabama esque type vocals. And, mm-hmm. um, and so, yeah, it was, that was, and then we had a guy uh, named Greg Rolls, um, who, uh, he played steel guitar, but he also could play electric guitar, acoustic guitar. Um, he's left-handed. So everything's upside down for him. So he, it was a unique thing to see and really talented guy. And he actually went on, um, to, we, we did one show with him, one showcase, really. Uh, we did a showcase for some booking agents. And, um, and then he left right after that, he decided he didn't want to be gone that much because he figured out we were going to be gone, but we got booked, uh, immediately, uh, on a lot of shows and we traveled in my two door Jeep Cherokee pulling a U-Haul trailer. Um, so we were riding in high cotton, five grown men, uh, in a two door Jeep pulling a U-Haul. And, uh, we would, uh, our first trip together was we went to St. Charles, Missouri, for a week, five sets a night. Then we went to Reno, Nevada. Um, we were there for two weeks. And while we were there, um, uh, the program director for the bull, the, uh, in Reno, uh, uh, Tom Jordan, who's still a friend of mine today. Um, he was the program director. He loved us and they had a stage at the fair. Uh, he said, you know, if y'all want to make some extra money during the day. Uh, and then he said, we have some arena shows that we're sponsoring. If y'all want to open up while you're here also. And so literally we would set up at the fair. We had, we had no roadies. It was just us in my two door Jeep, pull the U-Haul, pull up to the fair, unload our stuff, set it up, play three sets at the fair, tear it down, go over to the arena, set up, do a 30 minute opening set. We opened for Ronnie Millsap, Paul Overstreet, Tracy Bird, Tanya Tucker. I mean, a lot of people, it was really cool. But then we'd tear down from that 30-minute set and go over to the uh, casino and play five sets that night. We did that for two weeks. Then we went to Vancouver, Canada for a week, Calgary, Canada for a week, and then down to Fort Myers, Florida for a week, and then back home, all in a two-door Jeep Cherokee pulling a U-Haul. Man. Yeah, it was. And I, I'm going to add, here's, here's, you said you want to teach people what not to do. Here's one thing to not do. And that I remember so vividly, um, we, when we got to Reno, you know, I don't think any of us had ever been, you know, like Vegas or Reno or anything like that. So this casino life was like, Oh my goodness, all the lights and the dinging. And mm-hmm. 
So, but we were as poor as poor could get. So when we got our first paycheck, um, we decided we watched it a lot, the roulette that we were going to take our entire check and we were going to put it on red and double our money. <laughs> Great investment strategy. Double our money with just one spin of the wheel. It was, yeah. you know, yeah, well, we lost and uh, lost our entire check. So I had to go Clint. I remember Clint was the manager's name and had to go to him and beg to get an advance on our next week's check just so we could have food. Good times. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so the moral of the story is put it on black. Put it on black, not red. That's the moral <laughs> not of the red. story. Yes. Foolish to put it on red. Foolish. What was I, what was I thinking? Man. That's funny. What about like, and this is just an ignorant question because I've never been in that world, but like, when did, when did you start doing merch and how did you handle that where you weren't going to lose your money, lose your shirt on your shirts, if you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we started uh, the merchandise pretty soon after we uh, got back from that first trip because um we had gone in the studio and we had recorded um, these songs. And so we had, matter of fact, uh, I have it here somewhere. If I could just, oh, here it is. Look at that bad dog. Oh, Texas C. And Texas C. We were Texas C before we were Lone Star. I came up with that brilliant name. Um, and so it was... Uh, uh, you take the great state of Texas and you can see the outline of Texas there. But then when it goes out this way, you just make it Tennessee. And so it was Texas C. I got and, it. Uh, I thought it was brilliant, but it wasn't. Um, <laughs> never, never another piece of advice. Never drink and come up with your band name. Um, it's, you know, but this was our first cassette that we did. Wow. And um, it had uh, merry-go-round, all songs we wrote, didn't mean a thing. When Cowboys Didn't Dance and Old Man Jim. Yep. That was, uh, so we had this bad dog that we would sell. And then we had a t-shirt that looked just like this, but it was color. It had red and blue. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, yeah, um, we, we had that right away and started selling those. And, you know, we did all right. It, it made, it made, uh, it, we made enough money on that stuff to, uh, you know, make it worth doing, you know? Yeah. And that was, that was right after our first long trip together. Cool. And you, so you just had shirts and cassettes at the time? Sh shirts and cassettes. That's what we had. And, um, you know, and, uh, we, we didn't do big runs cause we didn't have any money, but, uh, yeah. we would, you know, we'd basically, we would take the money that we'd make, uh, from the cassettes and shirts and just to print more. But at that time, it was just about building a brand, you know, right. and and, uh, you know, we didn't have all the social media and stuff that, you know, people have the luxury of having today. And I know most people look at it as a pain in the neck and I get that, but it's actually quite the luxury because your uh, their reach that they have today with with all the socials is is pretty amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, if, do you mind talking a little bit about the business of the band? And yeah, yeah, sure. And here, anything like, specific. So, yeah. So when you set up the band, um, who owned the band name, for instance, and did everybody own that equally? Did everybody share in the profits equally? 
you know, how was that set up? Yeah. Um, so I'll, I'll move forward to when we became Lone Star after we, um, well, I, uh, you had asked a second ago about, you know, uh, maybe how we got our deal and stuff too. I'll just say quickly, we did three showcases. What we, that first run we did together, we decided that, um, uh, we we wanted to try to get a record deal. Um, what what I lo- haven't told a lot of people is, I literally initially put the band together because um, a friend of mine, a uh, great friend of mine at the time, Ken Mellons, who had like Jukebox Junkie and stuff, that was his mm-hmm. big hit. Um, he and I were great buddies, and we worked together at Opryland. He got his record deal, and he asked me to be his band leader and to put a band together. And Lone Star or Texas Sea was the band I put together to be Ken's band. but he, it was going to be, it was going to be months. He had to still record a record and all this stuff. So I just started booking us just to work until he was ready for us. And, um, but it was on that first long trip in Reno, Nevada, when we were writing these songs and, uh, we felt like we had something special, you know, people were loving us. The radio program director, I've mentioned Tom Jordan loved us. And so we decided we were going to try to get a record deal. And so matter when we got to, um, Calgary, um, I literally uh, found found a, a computer, which I didn't have a computer, didn't even know how to work one, but figured out how, found out all the record labels in Nashville. And I put together this showcase and sent out invitations to every record label in Nashville. And uh, one showcase led to another showcase, which led to the third and final showcase of us getting our record deal. Um, um, and we got that. We were the first band to ever play the Wild Horse Saloon. We were the house band there. Oh, cool. And yeah, most a lot of people don't know that either. Literally, the first music that was ever played at the Wild Horse Saloon was us. Oh, man. And, and they had over 100 bands audition to be the house band. Mm. And uh, we were out on the road, and I found out about it. I knew, I've knew i heard the guy that was booking it uh, was somebody I knew from when I worked at Opryland. And so I called him and said, hey, what's the deal about the wild horse? And he told me, oh, it's this big, beautiful, massive club, three stories high, great production, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, well, I hear you're looking for a house band. He said, well, yeah. He said, we've already auditioned over a hundred bands. We're going to pick pretty soon. I was like, well, you need to give us the gig. And he goes, well, y'all didn't audition. I said, I said, well, it doesn't matter that we didn't audition. I'm telling you, we're the, we're the band for you. And he goes, Dean, he said, there's no way I can book y'all sight unseen. And and you should have been here for the audition. I said, do you know why those bands could audition? And he goes, I don't think I understand the question. I said, why do you think those bands could audition? And he, and he goes, I don't know. And I said, because they're not working. They're I not said, doing anything. We an audition. We're out on the road practicing our craft, working, playing all these places. I told him about all the shows we had done. And he said, if I give you this opportunity and you make me look bad, he said, I promise you, I'll make sure you never work in this town again. I said, I'm going to make you and us look really good. And so he gave us the gig side unseen. Oh, man. So, so, uh, another lesson there is connections are very important, you know, connections. But, uh, so once we got our record deal, um, uh, we set it up, uh, and as, uh, obviously we set up our corporation and we still call our touring portion of our corporation, Texas Sea Touring Inc. So we can still maintain a little piece of that Texas Sea. And, uh, we set it up where everybody was, you know, an equal partner. Um, things we should have done, uh, in hindsight, uh, which were suggested a little too late. Mm-hmm. Um, so we started, you know, right off the bat, uh, recording and John was, uh, writing 
a lot of the songs. And uh, he was, you know, since once we got a record deal, they decided Richie and John were going to be our lead singers, right? And when we were a bar band, all of us sang except for Keach. And so the focus was going to be on the two of them. So John was writing a ton of songs. Richie was writing a ton of songs. I was writing a ton of songs, but I wasn't singing them. So mine automatically got kicked to the curb. And um, and so uh, John started getting a lot of cuts. And um, and so I remember Richie and I being out on the road and him, him saying something to the effect of, man, you know, John's getting all the cuts. You know, it's not fair. He's going to make all the money and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, we, we're out going to be out promoting these things. We should get a piece of it too or whatever. And, mm-hmm. and uh, so we had a meeting management and everybody were all sitting in this room and basically was the suggestion was made that um, uh, do it like the rock guys do it. So, you know, a piece of uh, the publishing would go into a central fund and any money's made gets distributed equally among all members. Mm-hmm. And um, so, uh, and, you know, John was like, I'm not doing that. And, and, you know, we were saying, well, you know, it's only fair we're out promoting these songs and we should, you know, be we said, well, just write better songs. And, um, and so we didn't do it. And, uh, and then of course, a little while, I guess, after the second records, when we asked John to leave the band and, um, and so, uh, and then Richie started getting all the songs cut and we went back and had the same conversation with him and he didn't want to do it then. Uh, so <laughs> things, so had the, changed. things had changed. Um, so the lesson there is before you have any success set, set those parameters up. I mean, make sure that, uh, all of your bandmates are taken care of because, um, you know, when it comes to a band situation, um, you know, everybody's out working hard, promoting the songs and, and putting their heart and soul into it every night. And it just, it makes for better team play. It makes for better camaraderie amongst everybody. There's no, uh, it's, there's less chance of, uh, you know, somebody feeling left out and, and just causing dissension in the band. I mean, if everybody's participating in some way, it just makes the train keep on the track. I would imagine too, it makes less friction when picking songs. If I have a financial incentive to pick this one or this one, instead of just my, you know, it's just my horse that I'm betting on, you know? Right. Yeah. And that, that's the thing. I mean, you could, you could say that to people. Like I, I remember a time that, you know, there was a specific song that I had written that, you know, everybody uh, in the band, you know, loved, and uh, the label, you know, Joe Galani loved the song and Renee Bell, who was head of A&R, loved the song. And uh, Dan Huff, who was producing us at the time, loved the song. And, and you know, so it was kind of a done deal. We were recording the song. And then um, one of the band members, I'll, I'll leave the name out, but one of the band members brought in another song that they felt more strongly about that they wanted to uh, do instead. And we ended up going with that song. And uh, they said they just felt it more. Um, so <laughs> yeah. I don't know if they felt it more or they would feel it more in their pocket. Felt in their wallet. <laughs> their wallet was tingling. <laughs> wallet was tingling like crazy. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it's just best to set that stuff up ahead of time. I bet it was, yeah. No, I mean, I think that's stuff that people don't think about until it's too late, like you're talking about. You know, 
They're like, well, what are we going to do if somebody starts getting all the cuts? You know, are we going to cut songs that are not as good? Maybe those are the best songs, but we're not making, you know, that person's making 10 times the money we're making. So I, th- yeah. I think that's super important. What about, and, other- I heard, and I heard you say, Marty, real quick, I've, I've, I watch your stuff all the time and I kudos to you, by the way, um, to y'all for what you've done for, for these writers and artists and the education that you're giving them. And I learned a ton from y'all as well. Um, but, uh, you, you, I did a, a piece on um, uh, making sure that, you know, when you write a song that you, you, you fill out who's, you know, who's in the room and mm-hmm. the splits and all that stuff, because trying to do it after the fact, you know, somebody say, well, I should get more because I wrote more. Well, yeah, but you didn't say it in the room and mm-hmm. uh, it, it, it becomes a problem later on. And um, and I literally just had a conversation with somebody yesterday about that very thing. Um, and just, and, and I, and I mentioned you, I was like, yeah, this stuff just has to be worked out up front. And, um, so it's, it's, it's always easier to, um, to talk about the elephant in the room while the elephant's in the room. Yeah. It gets (laughs) out of the cage. (laughs) Until it gets out of the cage. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, You know, I've, I've worked with bands too, which I thought this was smart. They, they would say, well, we want everybody in the band to be in on the co-write but we only take one share. So like we, if it's me and them and there's four of them, you know, they still just take half, you know, I get half, they, they split a half and that kind of thing. Right. And I thought that's, you know, that's a fair way to the songwriters, but it's also, you know, it, it gets everybody in the band is equal in that scenario. And, and that kept yeah. some harmony in the group, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's smart. I mean, we never, it, it was never like that we never really had that situation um, other than uh, because, you know, like the whole band would never go into a writing appointment with like you. Mm-hmm. Um, it was either uh, Richie would write with you, with you or I would write with you or, you mm-hmm. know, whatever. Um, and it was just never that situation. The only time we ever had, uh, you know, Richie had left the band in 2007 and came back in 2012 and we did a new record. And, um, uh, for the first time ever, we decided, um, we wanted the whole band to write a song. Richie was writing a ton of songs for this record. I was writing a ton of songs for this record. And, um, Michael and Keach really weren't writing as much, but, um, uh, you know, Michael had a top 10 song with run away with my heart. So he's, you know, he's a good writer and, um, Mm -hmm. he just wasn't doing it as much. His focus was in other things, you know, and, um, and Keach, you know, had never really spent a lot of time writing, but, um, we decided we were going to literally write a song together as a band. And Keach had this idea for a song. uh, And we ended up changing it a little bit, you know, what the idea was, but, you know, we got in a room together and we collectively wrote it and, um, and, you know, and all shared in that song equally. Um, So the 12 cents that we made on it, we, we split that equally. (laughs) That's right. It's great. (laughs) That's awesome. Cause you don't want to be fighting over 12 cents. No. No, maybe 25 cents, but not 12 cents. You know, are there other things you can think of that we haven't talked about that, that you wish you had known in the beginning, as far as keeping everybody on the same page and excited about working together and managing egos and all that stuff. Well, I mean, um, you know, I, I feel like we did a really good job um, as collectively as a band. I mean, think about it. We're 30 years into this thing. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and 
I, I think the the core of us have have stayed strong. And when I say the core, um, you know, Michael and Keach and myself, you know, three of the four of us. I mean, John John Rich, uh, when he was part of the band, I mean, he'll tell you. I'm not talking out of school. I mean, we're still great friends, and some, um, you know, he's somebody I. Uh, uh, I admire a lot. He's outside of being crazy talented. I mean, talk about a business guy. He's an incredibly smart business guy and, um, you know, love him or hate him. I mean, he, he, he says what he thinks a hundred percent of the time. And, and I appreciate that, but, uh, uh, you know, he, he got, you know, he got out of control there for a minute and he'll tell you that. And then, you know, when, uh, Richie left the band the first time, you know, uh, before he came back the second time, you know, there was a conversation about why he left the first time. And it was for that reason. I mean, he, he, he let, you know, uh, his, uh, his ego get a little bit ahead of him, you know, and, and that doesn't make him a bad guy. It's just, you know, when you got enough people telling you, man, you're the voice and you write the songs and you're the front man of the band and all these things. And, you know, it's really, easy so i I don't i'm not putting him down for it i mean it's it's really i can see how it happened but um i I think the the biggest lesson is you know stay humble i mean uh, i love tim mcgraw's song stay humble and kind i I think if anything has served me well i mean you can talk to people that knew me uh day one moving to nashville and people that know me now and they'll say i'm the same guy and i'll treat people well unless you give me a reason not to. Um, I give everybody the time of day uh, that I can. And um, and I, I think you just got to be humble and kind. And I, I, I've, I've tried to live by that. One of my favorite things about you is, I mean, all the success. I mean, look at all those plaques behind you. And you've written tons of great, massive songs that are iconic in country music and, and other genres. And uh, and you're one of the, the kindest people I know. So I, I think it's important. I think that helps keep your success going. Uh, thank you. I, th- I think so too. It's uh, people ask me how you handle the highs and lows of the, the music business. And I, I just say, you can't go with them. You, you, you've got to stay true to who you are through the whole deal and enjoy the highs and make it through the lows, but you can't ride that roller coaster, you know, of thinking, man, I'm awesome when I'm having a big hit and man, I'm horrible when yeah. I not having one, you know? Yeah. Hey, here's a, a, I love, I love telling this story because it, I still laugh when I think about it. So we were speaking of the highs and lows and and trying to maintain, you know, just being humble. And uh, sometimes the universe has a way of making sure you stay that way, you know? (laughs) Um, And uh, so you, you have to be careful about that, but we were as big as you could get amazed had, gone it was nine week number one on the country chart had crossed over to the pop chart and it was spending its second week at number one on the pop chart the same week that our follow-up single to amaze smile was number one on the country chart so we had the number one song in country with smile the number one song in pop with amaze for the second week and we were walking the red carpet of the grammys nominated for a grammy and uh you know, they have the red carpet and they have the place you stand and the paparazzi takes your picture and next spot, next spot. Well, apparently, this paparazzi people could care less that Lone Star was there. They kept yelling out, genuine, over here, genuine. Gen- y'all move out of the way. We can't see genuine. <laughs> 
I still to this day don't know who Genuine is, but he was apparently a big deal then, and we were not, even though as we're with our tails between our legs, leaving the red carpet for um, number one song in country and pop with two different songs, but nobody knows who we are. But it was, I love that moment so much though now, hindsight, mm-hmm. because um, it just goes to show that no matter how big you are, you're just a speck of dust on this planet you know so you know i never take yourself too seriously and you said it much more eloquently as as you should because you're such a great writer but you know (laughs) uh appreciate the highs get through the lows and uh kind of kind of just maintain i love the story you tell about uh being out and you guys had like 18 wheelers with your picture on the side (laughs) and you rode your motorcycle up at, at, at a venue parking lot and this lady was like get out of the way. I'm trying to take a picture of Lone Star's truck, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I was literally under my picture. I pulled up underneath. It was a big uh, festival we were playing in our, uh, we at the time had um, two semis and three buses. And, you know, we had our huge picture up on the trailer and, and I just thought I'd be cute and funny. If this, this girl's trying to take a picture of the trailer with our picture on it. And I pulled right up under my picture and smiled at her and, she said what you said, you know, get out of the way. I'm trying to get a picture of Lone Star. And I was just, I just yeah. pulled off and I was like, all right. She, awesome. she had no clue. Yeah. Stay well, humble at, and kind. Yeah. I've got one. <laughs> I wrote with a, a guy one time and his, a, a really good friend of mine was in his band and was a little bit older and they had just gotten a record deal. And my buddy was so excited because he's on, you know, I think he was almost 40. And he was like my last shot, this young kid's the lead singer. And I'm right with the guy and, um, he comes in and he goes, I said, what do you want? He said, you know, when Toby Key says grass and you think he's going to say ass, but he says, well, and I said, yeah. And he goes, that's what I want. And I'm like, <laughs> Oh, Hmm. Okay. Well, we can, we can do that really quick. So we, we wrote anyway, he goes, this, this was right before Christmas. He goes home at Christmas and his family talks him into going into the label and saying, Hey, I really think I should be a solo artist. I'm, you know, I'm the singer, I'm the face, I'm all this of the band. And the label's like, well, we needed a band. We don't need a solo artist. We'll just drop you all. And their record never came out. Nothing ever happened for any of them with it, you know? And then yeah. back to your point, you, know, you just can't let your ego drive it, you know? And I, what I hope everybody gets from this conversation is that there's a lot of business that has to be done. You know, to make you, you got to be sure that you're, you can get hotels and all those things and still not lose your shirt, you know, when you're there. So if you're not that person or you don't have somebody with you doing that, then you need a manager that who can, can make sure those things happen in a way that makes all the the money work out and, and everybody stays happy and on the same page. And know your worth too. I mean, um, I, I think sometimes, uh, you know, you, you have to be smart about it. You you have to, you know, like that person you're talking about going in the label and, you know, changing the whole scenario. That wasn't smart. But I, I think, um, you know, know your worth when it comes to booking shows. I mean, you know, um, I had somebody tell me this recently. It's like they were talking about there's an artist and I won't say who it is, but, you know, they're out and they're making whatever their, their money that they're making, which is good money. And then, but they will only work for that. And they, but they have, 
you know, like they have uh, people employed that only make per show money mm-hmm. and they had the opportunity to, to make the big money for this show out here and then make a little bit less for this show and then a little bit less for this show on the way back home. But mm-hmm. ultimately it gives all the people that work for you extra money because they get to do three shows instead of one show. And, um, and, and the artists wouldn't do it. And I know that uh, they lost some band members over it. And, um, and so the people that were working for this particular artist, you know, they, they knew their worth and they decided to, you know, Hey, this person doesn't have my best interest at heart. And, uh, they had to move on down the road. So, you know, know your worth. If you're, if you're a musician working for an artist, or if you're, uh, an, an, if you are the artist, um, you know, there are going to be shows that you get what you deserve. There are going to be shows that you get more than you deserve. And there are going to be shows that sometimes you got to take less, but, uh, never sacrifice. Um, you know, if, if you, if you're trying to build your career, every, every opportunity to get in front of somebody is another opportunity to, to grow your business, to grow your brand. And, um, and just make sure that you you get paid what you're worth. But sometimes you got to take a little less. Sometimes you'll get a little more. And and always remember those times. So if you get this more than what you should make, sometimes don't all of a sudden think that's where you should always be because that right. it doesn't happen that way. And it won't stay that way forever, even if you get it for a while. You know, it won't. And that goes back to once again, um, I, I can't tell you. I, I there was a, a big manager. Um, and I'm not going to say who it is, but I was having a conversation with them and um, they were with this artist playing uh, an instrument for them um, and that they are now a big manager uh, in town. And I had lunch with them and they were telling me a story. They said, you probably won't even remember this, but they said we were opening for Lone Star and um, y'all were as big as it could get at the time. And, Y'all had this big set, all this stuff and whatever. And and they said, your production manager had put this piece of tape all the way across the stage and said, y'all have to set up everything. You know, talking about this opening act, had to set everything in front of this piece of tape, even though there was lots of room, you know, behind that tape that y'all are in front of there and whatever. And I just happened to be walking around and saw them trying to set up in this small space. Once again, I don't remember this, but this is them sharing the story with me. Mm-hmm. And I walked up and said, why are y'all, y'all have all this room? And they said, well, your production manager put this piece of tape and said we had to set up in front of that. And I, he said, I reached down and I picked it and I peeled that tape up all the way across the stage and said, y'all use as much room as you want to. And so now that they're a big manager, we are just having this conversation. They said, I couldn't have been more kind to them. And it was a good lesson for them how to treat people. You know, mm-hmm. and and I had those lessons, people that treated me well when, you know, uh, you may have heard me tell the story uh, when I was working at Opryland, had four jobs at one time to put my uh, wife at the time through college. And I would do whatever I could to make money. And I, I got hired to for this TV taping to wear a big cardboard sign, massive sign that said, hi, I'm Glenn Campbell. And every time, every time uh, it was a piece of yarn with a cardboard sign, said, mm-hmm. I'm Glenn Campbell. And every time he had to walk out on stage, I had to walk out and be him. And if he had to read teleprompter, I had to read teleprompter. If he had to sing, I had to sing. And there was a who's who of, I mean, Vince Gill, Amy Grant, Dwight Yoakam. I mean, just the who's who was there, except Glenn Campbell was there. So I was him. And, um, 
and I was so nervous. And, and, um, I remember, uh, Amy Grant came up to me and she started talking to me and she introduced herself and I said, yes, I know who you are. And, um, she couldn't have been more nice. I got interrupted by a, a big artist that I won't say who it was cause they were rude, but Amy says, uh, Hey, I'm talking to Dean. Have you met Dean? It's Dean. And she goes, yeah. Anyway, went back and started talking to her again. And so Amy said, Hey, I'll come find you in a little bit. I'm going to finish my conversation with Dean blew off this really big artist. And then later that night, um, I just wanted to thank her and I started to walk up to her backstage at the Opry house and she was signing an autograph for somebody. And she saw me and I, I turned around to walk off cause I didn't want to interrupt her. And she goes, Dean, hang on just a second. So, um, she finished signing, she came up to me and she goes, you need something? And I said, I just wanted to say thank you for treating this big nobody with a big cardboard sign around my neck like somebody. <laughs> and I said, I don't know if I'll ever make anything of myself, but if I do, I'm going to treat people just like you treated me. And thank you so much for that lesson. So I got that great lesson too, of how to treat people. Yeah. And I think you, you said something a while ago that I think is so important and I've seen all the best artists that are around for a long time tend to do this and that's treat your people. Well, you know, maybe you're not going to make exactly how much you want to make on that show, but it's going to feed your, your people. And sometimes you need to do that, you know, and it's back to that point, you know, you, you, you've got to understand whatever it is, it's not going to last forever, whether it's the high or the low. Yeah. And so you gotta, you know, you're going to see those people on the way back down if if you treat them poorly on the way up. And that's right. If you don't take care of your people, you're not going to have the best people working with you. Yeah. And you know, and there's a, there's a, a long list of, people that I know that were treated badly by, you know, certain artists and, um, and it does come back to bite you. And, and I just, I, I'm glad for me personally and Michael, I know, um, you know, in Keech that never was a thing and we've always treated people well. And, um, I just, I just think things that I'm most proud of in our career is I'm, I'm glad we've sold a lot of records. I'm glad we've had a lot of hits, but, um, I'm thankful that, through all of that, I've maintained great friendships, great connections and, and, uh, humility and treat people well, always. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, a lot of people might not remember some of the hits and some of the records, but they're going to remember for me personally, that I was kind to them. And, uh, that's probably one of the biggest lessons. Uh, and, and that goes, we're talking about business. That's what your this whole premise that's probably one of the biggest business moves you can make is treat people well. Absolutely. Well, that's, this has all been great. I don't want to leave here though. I've kept you longer than I'm meant to, but I don't want to leave without letting you talk a minute about what Lone Star's got going on now. Who's your lead singer. Just give us a little update. You got on it. Well, um, so uh, I'd mentioned earlier, Richie had left the band in 2007, came back in 2012. Well, he uh, left again in 21 in March of 21. Um, and we brought in a guy named Drew Womack who, oh my gosh, there, this guy, what a phenomenal singer, um, uh, big, great songwriter. Um, but the most important element that he has, he's one of the greatest human beings. He's just a good dude. Uh, so he's singing with us. He's a Texas guy. Um, we have a record that, uh, I'm producing that, um, we're just about finished with. Uh, called 10 to one. And it's a re-record of our 10 number one songs that we've had. Oh, and I've cool. changed up some of the versions of them. So they're just new and fresh and, uh, and more modern. And, um, 
and we feel like we've been doing this 30 years. We're better now than we were then. And uh, we kind of wanted to showcase that. And so we, we did a re-record of these 10 number ones. And um, it's it's a great record. Touring is, this is our biggest touring year in 15 years. Wow. So if you want to, if you want to see Lone Star somewhere on the road, go to LoneStarNow.com, check on the tour and it'll give you all the dates. Um, and then we also, we're doing cameos, uh, which has been a lot of fun. You know, uh, people, if you don't know what cameo is, you get on there and, uh, people can, uh, pay to get special shout outs or whatever, uh, their favorite artists, actors, writers, whoever, whoever's on there. And so you can go to cameo and look up Lone Star. And if you've got a special birthday, a wedding, uh, whatever it is, we all film ourselves saying That's hi cool. to you. And, and it's, it's, it's been a lot of fun. So, um, we we're doing that. And, uh, outside of that, we're, uh, starting to write, we're going to put together a, a new original record, uh, in the, in 23. So that's kind of our next thing that we're working on. That's cool. Awesome. Thank you, my friend. Appreciate all the great advice. You got it. So glad to uh, see you. And, um, and we'll get together again here soon, but I'll, I'm going to say it again. I'm, I'm so tickled to have this great job that you do with all your, all your people that subscribe to you. And I don't know, I subscribe to you too. So I'm, I'm always watching and Thank uh, you. you, you and Clay do a great, great job. Thank you, buddy. Take you care. It, man. Bless you, buddy. Yeah. All right. We kept you after school on this one. It's a lot longer than we usually go, but Dean had great things to say. And I wanted you to hear all that. So we're not going to have a song today. I uh, would love for you to check out songtown.com. Check out the show notes for information on books that Clay and I have written. And we'd love it if you gave us a review wherever you listen. Thanks for being here. We'll see you next week.